Well, John, the uh, Cinerama Anime Festival's going on this week, and uh, Ghost in the Shell is going to be playing on Saturday. So, the question is, is that a good movie or a bad movie? Oh, it's a good movie. <laughs> well, we spo- you spoiled it. <laughs> Oh, well, what was I supposed to say? (laughs) Yeah, uh, so I guess this is good movie, bad movie, uh, with uh, Sean Lemmy and... John Otney. And uh, we're going to talk about the 1995 version of Ghost in the Shell, as well as the 2017 version of Ghost in the Shell. But I I wanted to give us that that context of it's, uh, it's, it's the anime festival week this week in Seattle at one theater. I think the the convention was relatively recent as well. SakuraCon. So really? God, that always goes by so quick. It's just trying to be a little topical, and you know, John. Sometimes you and I talk about how annoying it is, how easy everything is for kids these days to watch kind of whatever they want, but at least we were young enough that we got to grow up with anime available in the United States, we were pretty much the first generation that had that option, right? I mean, I think so. It's like, what did kids in the 80s have? They had probably reruns of Speed Racer, and was Robotech a thing? I don't know. Oh, yeah, Robotech. I'm sure it was just horribly butchered, too. Like, And, and even the show like Robotech was like pretty stilted by today's standards. Like, Yeah. We were really lucky to grow up in this time when, like, Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z, there's just this explosion of, like, really good, like, shows in the 90s. I don't know how that happened and why the 90s. I think cable was a big part of that. Cable becoming something affordable that everyone could have, or at least most families, and, and as opposed to this extreme luxury. But, man, thinking about Robotech, I, that was, like... That was like several different shows edited together into one show, right? That was the deal with Robotech. Oh, it like, probably. It was like Macross and a few other shows. And like that's what people had to deal with back then. You know, we had corny dubs of Dragon Ball Z, but at least it was entirely Dragon Ball Z. So it was like the correct show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the first anime I ever remember watching, though, was Slayers. Remember that one? Oh yeah, you'd have you like get the tapes. So, like uh, I think you could rent them at some like Hollywood videos, but then I'd also pick them up. I can't remember what it was called now. There was a weird like obscure video store in like deep in Seattle where you could buy anime tapes, I and mean, you have to buy them too. So I just like slowly buy the tapes that have like two episodes, and just you know fall in love with this fantasy show. I remember us watching that. I remember one time I think I even gave you one of those tapes for, for like a birthday. Yeah, I have like three episodes on VHS. It's like, enjoy these three episodes, Sean. If you want to watch more, it's going to be like twenty four ninety five. <laughs> because this was like at a weird... This is like 96, 7. I mean, I think Toonami was a thing by then. But even then, it mm-hmm. had like it, Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z up to a certain point, And then it just rerun the same <laughs> episodes. There's only yep. so many episodes. There wasn't really that much. You had to go out to video stores and buy tapes you can even rent them most of the time and say like i hope i like this Mm -hmm. i mean 
It's a total crapshoot, and I think, you know, the internet started becoming a bigger thing, so that made it a little easier to kind of do research. Not that I was doing that, but I had an older sister who, you know, was like, hey, you gotta check out this show, you gotta check out this show, so I kind of got slowly integrated that way, and that was, like, so exciting, but it, it's crazy to think that that's how I had to do it back then, and now you have, like, Crunchyroll and, you know, the Funimation app, and it's, like, it's just everywhere. Yeah, yeah, Crunchyroll is what amazes me because it's, I think it's like day and day release with the Japanese airtime. I think so. And that's bonkers because I, I like the bulk of my time watching anime, I was spent like waiting for some fan sub of that week's episode to come out a week later and downloading it over BitTorrent. And to to not have to do any of that sounds pretty awesome. Although I do have a hard drive now full of like the first hundred episodes of Naruto and a bunch of Gundam series. Um, I, I would say on top of the internet, though, Adult Swim coming out was uh, a huge uh, anime influence for me. Um, when they when they started doing the like the action block on I think Saturday nights. Um, which was picking up. I also remember Gundam Wing on Toonami. If you watched it, they would rerun that week's or that day's episode at like 11 p.m. and they would throw they would throw some of the like most extreme sensors out. Like in if the in the daytime version, a character would say, "I will destroy you," but if you watched the late night version, it would be like, "I'll kill you." And that was like amazing. I, I was... <laughs> I was hoping it's like, I will fucking destroy you. <laughs> uh, I, think, I didn't know they did that. Yeah. Yeah, and there was like a little bit of blood, which was like an amazing moment for me. Because there's one episode of Gundam Wing where characters strap down and trying to break out of their uh, the straps. And in doing so, he's like bleeding out of his wrists. And in the daytime version of that, it's just him flexing and you hear this dripping sound. They left the dripping sound in, but they edited out the blood. It's like, what? what's he doing? Is he peed his pants? Yeah. Denim Wing's weird. Oh, I bet. You know, I feel, I feel bad that I didn't watch more of um, that Adult Swim block. I think, one, it was a bizarre time to watch television. Like mm-hmm. Saturday at midnight. And also, it kind of came at a period in my life where I was like, I'm a little too, like, cool and, like, adult for, like, these these things. And it's funny how that all circles around where, like, then you get old enough. You're like, no, that's this is this is for everybody. Like, what, 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 I don't think I was so cool. Like, this, this stuff's fine. And that's kind of where I am today. You know, like, I have a lot of nostalgia for those older shows, but I'm willing to try out new stuff. And I've really gotten heavy into, like, anime movies, like... I don't know why those feel so much better than a lot of the TV shows. I, I think the animation quality definitely helps. I mean, if you're if you're talking the the shows in the '90s that we were watching, there's a lot of um, cost cutting measures in effect. You'll see in those shows, you know, only a mouth moves, or there's just terrible, bizarrely drawn characters because they had they had to give some frames to the shitty artists. Um. 
watch an episode of Dragon Ball Z where Goku just powers up for 20 minutes standing yeah. still going Aah! stuff like I mean and that and that gets into that whole other thing about those TV shows that are based on on the manga that's still going where they have to add the filler into episode like episodes like that where they can't advance the plot because their plot is getting too close to the the comics plot which I guess that's the Game of Thrones problem people can relate to that now i guess so yeah but with like movies you know there are these condensed you know standalone just just like they're just like regular films but then they're they do things that normal films can't do because of the fact that they're animated and a lot of those movies are targeted more towards adults whereas the shows are usually targeted more towards kids so i think that's one reason why i love a lot of anime movies now but as a kid it was opposite it's like because we do that like we'd rent you know the shows but we rent we rented some movies back in the day too i remember us renting akira when we were probably like 11 or 12 mm-hmm. and that seeming pretty heavy for like <laughs> preteen kids and i remember back then i was like Ugh, i don't like this this is too disturbing and now it's like i love it so much so I think I have a newfound respect for like the artistry of those films and the complex storytelling. It probably also helps that now we can watch like HD Blu-rays, and back then we were watching a tape on you know a thirteen-inch TV. The questionable dub. <laughs> the questionable. Oh uh, yeah, of course he called uh, Canada Canada. Canada. It's just a good name, okay? Yeah. <laughs> And you, I think, told me a while back that we watched Ghost in the Shell as kids. So, yeah, I I have a memory that's maybe a fake memory of us watching it together. <laughs> but I definitely remember having seen this movie. I think I've, I've seen the first Ghost in the Shell movie three times now. I mean, it's possible. There was only so much anime you could rent back then, you know? It's like, if you wanted to watch movies, you'd rent, like, Akira this maybe there was one you know studio ghibli film back then i don't know and then like street fighter the movie the anime version (laughs) oh yeah also had nudity in it big deal (laughs) so we must have seen ghosts in the shell but i'm sure it went way over my head and even watching it today it's a pretty complex movie but i definitely have like appreciation for what it does in terms of like how it addresses the rise of technology and modern culture and just the the, like again the artistry like how it looks like it does stuff you can't really do in live action movies and it does it well it it, it's not wasted in the way that in 2017 you can do a lot of what what's in this movie right like so many shots of the 2017 version are taken directly from the 1995 movie as well as its sequels and the tv show um but it's it's not the same you know the the 1995 movie has these great establishing shots that tell you so much about the world and the people living in it and the 2017 movie has the same establishing shots but they're just so cgi'd and over the top that really they're just showing you something because they need to go from 
a medium shot in one scene to a medium shot in a different scene. And there has to be something in between them so you know you're in a different location now. Yeah, there's not really any hand-holding in the original. It really takes its time. There'll be, like, long, drawn-out shots of the city just to kind of get a feel for things. And it's very contemplative in nature. Mm -hmm. So should we go over a little bit of plot? So it's the future. I think they actually say the year in this one, but I don't remember what it was. I'm hoping it's one there. It's like it's 1998, but I'm sure they went a little further. <laughs> and uh, there's this uh, this team called Section Six. Uh, there's also Section Nine. I can't remember which one's the good one. I think it's Six is the good one. Um, who uh, assassinate a, a diplomat uh, to to stop them from. Uh, defecting to, I guess, some other country. I don't remember which one. Um, and they find out that they're involved now in this uh, conspiracy surround started by Section Nine. Another like pol- these like they're like these just police teams called sections working for the government, uh, and they're on the trail of this hacker. Uh, who's able to hack into people uh, with with cybernetic enhancements. And it's... it's uh, I don't know. Do I, do I spoil the plot in good movie, bad movie? Or do I, or do I just leave it at the setup? Mm, well, do we need to spoil it to talk about the other one? I guess we do need to spoil some things, but maybe it's better to talk about that in the context of the 2017 movie. Okay, let's do that. We can just start with, like, this kind of base-level introduction. Oh, and it's 2029, if you're curious. Ooh, so, coming up, 12 years. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, so, I, I guess one of the big differences in this movie, though, is that it seems like pretty much everybody is almost fully cybernetic. Um, like, the plot of the new movie is that is that the major is the only person who's like that. Well, in this one, um, she's that way. It seems like Bato's that way, who's kind of like her partner. Um, I, and the exception is they have this other guy on their team who's like fully human, who's just like a good cop. And then they, they're like, well, we need you on our team because you're just a, a good dude. Which I like that. And I, I'm and that character was in the other movie, but he's it don't, that's, it's not the same. At the movie is less about them like it's weird because it's a it's a very plot driven movie it's all about them tracking down this hacker but it seems to be mostly using all of that to just explore these ideas of technology like you said and and identity i think is the other uh big theme of the movie where uh the the major is starting to question you know if her entire body is real. How does or is fake? How does she know that she's real? Right. Yeah. What makes a person a person exactly? And they do use the word ghost, but it's they don't talk about it so much like they do in in the new one. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Um, and I, I guess I do have to kind of spoil the ending just to say, like, in the end, they find out that the hacker is an AI that's going in the opposite direction of of the way the people are in this world where the people are becoming more and more machines and there's an AI that's basically attained, you know, sentience and considers itself a person and wants to be a person, not an AI anymore. 
I would say one of the the things I remembered from this movie when seeing it as a kid, right, was was how much nudity is in it. Um, I never understood why that is. Is that like supposed to represent something? It's like how like when you're a robot, like it doesn't clothes don't matter. Like, is there something going on there? I think I think there is. I think like the fact that the major takes off her clothes all the time is supposed to convey this idea that like she doesn't have like the the sense of like human modesty anymore she doesn't maybe she doesn't even think of herself as a woman anymore because she's so mentally detached from her body at this point like she she just doesn't care and it's it's like because she doesn't just undress tactically because they do have the weird thing where she can take off all her clothes and turn invisible um which is weird because there's another character who can do that but he does it with a poncho so i don't know why she has to get naked um honestly i think part of it is just because it's like kind of like a sexy thing and you know what japan you know you know how japan is sometimes i'm sure i'm sure they'll spend all day defending it and yeah it definitely makes sense but i'm just saying i'm sure sex appeal is a small part of that just saying there's also the interesting or at least i think interesting thing they do at the beginning which is where they show her body or a body like hers being made and it's weird to go from like this is a these are metal pieces to skeleton to muscle to like this is a person and it's it's like when do you actually make that distinction in your mind when does when is that a a human body to you and I think the movie is kind of suggesting it never really is. Oh, yeah. It's just a shell. Yeah, another thing I liked was was the team in this one. I, like, I brought up that there's the one guy who's just, uh, like, a good cop who actually, like, helps and contributes to the team. Uh, and, and Bato's, like, her partner. Uh, he's the guy with the weird white circles for eyes. I'm really glad we get to find out the origin of that in the other one. <laughs> and, and and he's he's cool. He's kind of like a stoic dude, but everybody seems to like him. He like drives around in a boat, which is cool. Um, but like I guess I just know because because of, of Adult Swim and like having seen a few episodes of the show, totally out of context that there's. And, and the fact that it's based on a comic, there's like a, a whole team there. Instead of it just being like, Major is the best, Major is the greatest, all hail Major. Everyone is just in the way of, of the Major accomplishing her goals. Like, they have to work together. And she's kind of a, a dick. Like, kind of hard to work with, everyone. It's really good and really influential. Um, Like... Uh, People probably know that this movie was a huge influence on The Matrix to the point where I think there's a rumor that the Wachowskis, like, along with treatments of The Matrix, would include copies of this tape. Um, and so, uh, like, I, probably the most iconic scene in the movie is um, the Major having just a machine gun trying to take out this giant spider tank 
which they call it a spider tank in the American version, but I hope that's not what they call it in Japanese because it only has six legs. Like, it's not a spider. I don't know. I watched the um, American dub of this, so they might have also called it the spider, which was terrible. I don't know if you watched it subtitled. I watched it subtitled, yeah. Good move because, yeah, it was really bad. I guess the, the Blu-ray of Ghost in the Shell has a terrible subtitle track on it. I was just going to buy it. And then I went on Amazon and was like, don't buy this. The subtitle track is terrible. So, um, I don't know. I guess the responsible thing to do would be buy the Blu-ray, rip it onto your computer, and uh, then download a fan subtitle track. But I think I think there's an easier way to do that, if you catch my meaning. Uh, but on top of that scene, you know, which has the amazing part where she tries to rip the lid off the tank and she <laughs> rips her arms off um there's this amazing chase sequence where she's invisible and this dude in the poncho is invisible uh, and they're running through the city which i don't think is named it's just the city i mean it's clearly japan um but i don't think they ever say it's tokyo or anything like that if it does have a name yeah it's not something that's established in the movie it might be established in the manga but it's it's just some big tokyo-esque city Mm mm-hmm it's probably just supposed to be, like, the evolution of what a, like, bustling metropolis can be. So it doesn't matter what it's supposed to be. Or, like, what it's called, I mean. Yeah. Well, and, and that, sequence, that sequence has so many um, great animated scenes. Like, there's a part where the invisible character is jumping on boat to boat to boat to get across this, uh, this river. And it, it looks really great. And very dynamic and exciting. Uh, the machine guns in this movie also very big and loud. Really cool guns. Yeah, really cool guns. <laughs> Thumbs up, really cool guns. But I mean, that's I mean that's this movie, right? Is this movie has a lot of really cool and exciting future technology, and it's not really judgmental of that. I think. I think a big aspect of this movie is Japan's relationship with technology, which is different from a lot of places, right? Because Japan, you know, after after World War II, Japan was like a third world country. It was like totally destroyed. And uh, their technology is what helped them like reemerge as... Uh, an economic power and, and you know one of the most powerful nations in the world again and so they're pretty pro technology over there i think that's at least my impression uh, yeah i would agree with that and so as much as like the movie deals with um the way technology will help you question yourself and force you to potentially lose your identity it kind of treats that as like the inevitable course that we're going on, right? It's never like, it, there's never a scene where they're like, we should have never invented shells, right? Or we should have never had the internet. Like, it's just, it's taken for granted that that's the way life is. So I hope they never build robots. This is all inevitable, right? Seems pretty cool though, right? There's some cool parts. It does seem cool. There's a lot of sweet guns. A lot of sweet guns. You know, ponchos are turning invisible. There's also the part where they they say, like, 
if you go swimming and something goes wrong, you'll die. So, I, you know, that kind of sucks. Swimming's fun. <laughs> I don't remember that. If you're one of the sh- the shells? Yeah. Well, there's there's a... Major goes, goes swimming and Bato picks her up in her boat. And he says something, at least in the subtitles. Maybe it's totally different in the dub. But he's like, what are you doing? You're trying to kill yourself? Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully I didn't miss out on anything by watching the dub. But I think one thing I at least could take away from this film is the fact that it's like it's an action film and it's like a like a like a very philosophical science fiction piece it finds that great balance that so many movies can't seem to find you know so many movies are either the action movie or just the philosophical movie you know but it finds Mm -hmm. the nice mid-ground between entertaining and thought-provoking yeah and and pretty and it's it's also it's short, which surprised me. I know I, it's like eighty two minutes long. <laughs> um, and there's there's a real efficiency to the to the storytelling. Like like you said, there's a lot that they just don't explain um, about the world. Uh, they give you just the bare minimum because they like you said they're focused on the action and the ideas and servicing them both well. Yeah, whereas that new one feels like it feels like three hours long. Oh my god! Are we ready to get into that yet? <laughs> yeah, go see uh, Ghost in the Shell at uh, Cinerama on Saturday if you can. Cool. See it on Hulu if you just can't. If you just can't <laughs> see it any other way, you'll at least get to enjoy the animation. But yeah, let's talk about Ghost in the Shell, the new Ghost in the Shell. Let's. First of all, I think. I think it's important to point out that Sean and I did not pay to see this film. Was it Crunchyroll? It was. Had a promotional thing where you sign up for like a premium uh, trial for free for like 30 days and you can get a free ticket to go see Ghost in the Shell. So it's like, yeah, why would I not do that? So that's how we got the tickets. I don't know if you actually enjoyed or or checked out Crunchyroll at all, Sean. So I did check out Crunchyroll. Um, I started watching... uh, the new Gundam series that just ended because as well, I guess I didn't actually say in our introduction, like the one thing from anime that has never changed since the beginning is that I love Gundam. Uh, I mean, p- people who listen to this podcast know that I love giant robots and my God, Gundam, that's the cream of the crop as far as uh, giant robot stories. Yeah. That and the iron giant. Yeah. Iron giant's pretty great. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything bad about the iron giant. I didn't like the new Gundam series, though, because they had this thing where the the person who pilots the Gundam is, like, a child who has this, like, gross implant in his back that makes him have, like, spikes on his back all the time. And, like, when he's piloting the Gundam, he gets all, like, a huge bloody nose. Like, the whole bottom half of his face is covered in blood. This is really hard to visualize. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it was bumming me out. Um, so then I tried watching a show called Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which everyone's like, this is the best show that's ever been made. Uh, and I just couldn't keep up with it because it, the dialogue is entirely exposition and it's so fast. I was just exhausted by watching it. And so when my month ended recently, I decided not to re-up. Did you watch anything, John? No, because all the stuff I want to watch is already available. Like, anime is so wildly available over Netflix and Hulu. 
and all that stuff. So I was already good. You know, I, I've mainly been watching Death Note, which I think we're actually gonna maybe touch on a little bit later mm. on Hulu. And I've been watching the dub, and it's a pretty good dub, and I've been enjoying that. It's a not. It's still like not very subtle in terms of dialogue, but like it's atmospheric and has good music, and I like the overall story. So that's been fun. I'm sure there is some good stuff on Crunchyroll had I uh, delved into a little bit deep, but it's just like it's hard to keep up with the stuff I already do have without adding on any more. Though I, I do appreciate them, you know. Everyone should check check out Crunchyroll. Maybe they'll pay us if we say it enough. So. 2017 Ghost of the Shell. Your turn to recap. So we go in. It has the text on the screen that explains what's going on in the future. Did the original one have an opening text as well? It did, but it's very brief. It's just like, it's the future. People live in shells. And this is like it. Yeah, this is like it. It's basically the same thing. In the future, humans are augmented with like robot parts. And they're like, <laughs> their brains are ghosts and this is their shells. See? Get it? That's the title. And then... <laughs> I can't remember if they went right into building Scarlett Johansson major like they did in the original film, but that is early on in the film, and it's it's cool looking. Uh, and then they have a scene with Scarlett Johansson and Juliette Binoche. I can't remember if this is before or after they get into the opening action set piece. It doesn't matter. I'll just say this scene first, where they have to explain again that, oh, the, your brain, yours is like a human brain. That's like your ghost. This is your shell. You're a ghost in the shell. Mm-hmm. Like, like we didn't already get that the first time around. So it's like, okay, I think I think we get what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And this one opens with a similar set piece where she's going into some, like, sh- I guess it's like a shady business deal but with, like, robot guys, robot dealers, robot CEOs. Yeah, I don't know why she was paying attention. But, I mean, that's fine. We don't really know why she's paying attention. I guess they were expecting something bad to happen, and it did. <laughs> it's Yeah, they nailed it. They minority reported it. Except, like, she's been there for a while because she's just standing on the roof. But, like, Bato and the SWAT team are, like, still driving to the location. I'm not sure what's the cue to get in there. It's like, are you just going to wait till people start getting killed by robots? <laughs> Do you expect that? But this, this guy, I don't, I can't remember if he's just selling some new technology to this other guy. He's uh, some CEO of like, I think it's called like Hanka or something, some robotics company. Anyways, they're they're having this 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 business meeting and they're clearly scumbags. And then there's these robot geishas that start killing people. And I can't remember if one of them like hooked itself up to the main bad dude. They did, yeah. They, like they put some wires in him because he had an imp- he has an implant. Yeah, you know, because remember, remember the opening credits. Everyone's got like augmented cybernetic parts. Yeah, and it's it and it's even though they use the term shells so much, like it seems like most people. No, it's definitely because they they explicitly say that Scarlett Johansson is the only like fully cybernetic person, right? So everyone just has cool parts. So I don't know why everyone has matrix plugs, but they do. So you get into the internet. They don't explore that at all, though. No. They don't explore why people have these. I remember this scene, the evil executive, who, by the way, is, is Michael Wincott, so you know he's bad. The guy from The Crow. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's talking about, like, uh, my my daughter learned to play the violin in a day, but it's like, why couldn't she learn to play the piano or something? It's like, that's really interesting. 
So they have, they have the Matrix thing of you can learn stuff instantly. Yeah. But it never comes up again. So they just need it for that one scene, right? <laughs> just need him to talk about something. You just gotta get so you can get to the robot fight. Yeah. It's a cool robot fight, though, right, Joe? It is. It is a cool robot fight. I, the one thing that I will say about this movie is that it does look good, visually and the production design. I mean, mainly because it has like a good template to work off of. It can just literally take all the visuals from the original, but then also like the special effects are pretty good and the action is well paced for the most part. Like the fights are easy to follow, so yeah. it is a good set piece. I remember they released that scene early on youtube about a week before the movie came out and i watched it. i'm like maybe this won't be so bad <laughs> so just that scene alone i guess i thought it was going to be a, it could it could be okay mm-hmm. um of course it you know other things happen later can we just i simplify the plot now without going like beat for beat saying like i think it's just there's some entity knocking off the, the guys that work at this company right there's, there's, mm-hmm. is there more to it than that that's that's such a de- simple departure from the original. It's like people are being killed from from something. Go stop it. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's just like staring out windows and be like, "What am I?" Like, you know, it's just really generic like robot problems that you probably see in movies like Bicentennial Man and just any movie where like a robot is like, "Am I a human or am I not?" It's just like every other scene is something like that is this dilemma it's like okay i get it sucks being you but i uh, like changing the the story from this hacker who can hack into anyone and he's like causing havoc and change that to this hacker who's really good at hacking but is only targeting executives of this evil company uh that's a huge change to me because like the like as soon as you know that that's what's going on, you know that the twist is going to be. It turns out the the company's a bad company, right? Like, that's obvious. Oh yeah, no, it never is that surprising. And like, not only that, but they reveal the identity hacker like pretty quick into the movie. So it's <laughs> like, let's just get rid of all mystery as soon as we can because we don't want anyone to get confused. It's like they have to hold your hand as much as possible so you don't get lost. Not that it was ever that complicated. No, the only not. reason that I'm struggling is because we probably saw it a couple weeks ago, not because it was hard to follow. Well, and also, like, in the 2010s, like, every movie has an evil company in it. And that's, that's such a lame change from uh, the original, where there's, like, infighting between police departments and, like, there's diplomacy and, and foreign policy going on. And, like, there's there seems to be, like, a tension between, like immigrants and people who live in japan that's also in this movie but um, of course much less specific because we don't even know what country this movie is set in this movie is i feel like they definitely mentioned tokyo do they they do i'm pretty sure they're like this is japan but like you know in the future there's like so much diversity that like it could be anywhere but it's japan it's Japan. I feel like it's a really bad excuse to cover up the whitewashing thing by putting yeah. in like, you know, black actors that have British accents and just people of all these different nationalities. Like being see, it's just like everybody's like everything, you know. It's like every building has a giant hologram of a 
beautiful person on it now. It's cool, but it does not seem practical. I, uh, this like, this city is seems purely like built to be like an amusement. As as a, like, it's hard for me to buy this world when it's like I can't imagine living in this world. Like, there's yeah. just holograms everywhere. People would be crashing their cars nonstop. Be like, oh my god, there's a giant man in the street. Oh no, it's just like a hologram of a basketball player. <laughs> It, like, it looks cool, but the more you think about it, it makes no sense. Like, the original, mm-hmm. it was like a futuristic city, but it wasn't that crazy. It's kind of like, like I was saying, they had a good template, but they have to find ways to differentiate. So it's like, well, just add on. Just add on. Yeah, it's like a Technicolor Blade Runner world. <laughs> Even Blade Runner didn't have holograms walking down the street. Yeah, it's nuts. You gotta know where to draw the line. Like, it, it looks cool, but again, like... The more you think about it, the more it doesn't make sense, and that's important to me. Uh, let's talk about some of the. Well, let's talk about the characters a bit. I guess you know, uh, Major. It's a, you know, it's a big character. Uh-huh. Does Scarlett Johansson fill those shoes? I. Uh, I don't think you could describe what she's doing as filling because she's such a <laughs> void. <laughs> It's not, like, even entirely her fault. There's nothing to work with with this character. I mean, they, I think later, or I guess for the most part, they, they give her this kind of arc of, like, trying to find out, like, about her past because she finds out, spoiler, that her past, like, her memories aren't real. So it's like she's conflicted in that way. So it's like she doesn't know who she sides with more, the humans or the robots. But aside from being all moody and emo, she yeah, she's not she's not funny. She doesn't say anything interesting. She doesn't have, like, any, like... There's not, like, anything she's, like, interested in. Like, little things, you know? Like, even her friend, like, likes dogs. Mm-hmm. That's not a big thing, but it's it's, it's a thing. Well, she's and, just and too serious. Yeah, like, her anime equivalent, who's called Matoko, her name's, like, Mira in this one. Mm-hmm. Mira, yeah. Um... Like, you can tell that she at least, like, cares about her job and wants to get the job done. And she... She's like a married-to-her-job kind of character, yeah. Yeah. While the Scarlett Johansson character, like, it's just she's so obsessed with herself that, like, it it seems like nothing else even matters to her. She's going through the motions. She's kind of indifferent about what she does. Like, well, I guess they're telling me to do this. I guess I'll do it. Like... She doesn't even seem that compelled to want to do it. So it's like, mm-hmm. why do you do it? Like, Well, and and but even later on when she's like unraveling the mystery of her life, finally, it just, it just feels like she's following the plot to me. It didn't seem like, it didn't make like, the, the, the conversation with her mother was like a bizarre scene for me. I was, I, I don't know what they were doing. Like, I don't even know how she knew that that was her mother. It just, like, maybe she was lying. Maybe she got it wrong. Yeah, I guess we can talk about that a little bit. So she starts, actually, I don't know how she remembered that because her memories were fake, but maybe she has some other memories. Like, Yeah, she, she has, like, some other memories that pop up. Like, she remembers seeing, like, a cat. And then later on, she's told to go to this apartment complex and she finds a cat. Wow, that must be that cat. Wow, here we are. It's a coincidence. It's terrible. But yeah, there's an apartment complex where she meets a Jap- elderly Japanese woman, and they have this weird connection. They just kind of like look into the eyes, and it's like, 
you're my mom. <laughs> and then, like, you know, of course, most people would be like, wait, 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 wait. But that's a Japanese person. Scott yep. Hansen. I know. She's like a white person. And then you uh-huh. find out that she was a Japanese teenager, like a runaway, like part of like a gang of like bad kids or runaways or whatever, mm-hmm. just outsiders, and that they use them in these experiments. And that she's not the only one. But mm-hmm. it's like, that's such a terrible excuse to, like, why she's now white. It's like, well, you know, the, the robot's got to be nice white robots. But, but she's Japanese, though. She's Japanese. You know, see? She's a Japanese brain. It's, a re- it's really terrible. I couldn't believe that that's, that was their explanation. Yeah. I, I mean, even if it, like, kind of, like, if you give the movie the full benefit of the doubt and you're like, this makes sense in context which it doesn't like how could they not think like after after the whole whitewashing controversy how could they think oh we'll make it better by saying she's a japanese person living in a white body like how could what a terrible solution to this problem they would it would have been so much better if they had like just let that one go and said we fucked up and cast a white person when we shouldn't yeah, I don't get. Are they trying to say that like, like the the machine like they make them white people because like those are more appealing or something? Because it's like she's not like a model; she's like a cop. Like, yeah. So what does it matter like what she looks like? Why does she have to look so beautiful? Like, and it's not like even the previous ones are. They're just you know they're just regular people. Well, we only meet one other. We only meet one other one who is again a Japanese boy, right? I mean, his yeah. name's Kusei. I assume he was Japanese. I don't remember. He was. Yeah, he's part of that gang, yeah. Um, but he has also been put into a beautiful white body, except his is Michael Pitt. Michael Carmen Pitt. Carmen? That's his name now. Maybe he got married. Huh. I, I pointed that out. I was like, what? Why is this Carmen now? Because he used to be credited as Michael Pitt. That's Mike, It said Michael Carmen Pitt. It's not that irrelevant. It just is weird. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so we could. I guess we could go back to that. So you find out that the evil entity that's like killing off all these guys is this robot played by Michael or Cyborg or whatever show, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. played by Michael Pitt with like cool like emo white Metal Gear Solid hair. Totally Metal Gear Solid hair. <laughs> he's got like lines on his face because he's like an earlier model where they like totally fucked up, and he's like all bitter about his treatment, you know, as mm-hmm. as this. I don't know. Not like a person. So he's getting revenge and he's trying to get her on his side. And he looks cool. Yeah. And I kind of like it that they were like connected, I guess. It's okay. Yeah. And I know that this character is from the TV show. But he's he's like heavily changed from what he is on the TV show. I think on the TV show, the only thing that's in common is that they have some sort of connection between him and the major, but it's not, it's not that they're the only two shells. Cause obviously in the show, it seems like pretty much everybody is a shell. Um, but it's like, it's such a downgrade from a malevolent AI. And it makes some of the other plot points make less sense. Like, why is he such a powerful hacker? Why is he able to do things like totally change someone's memories and make them think a picture of themselves is a picture of their daughter? Like, because he has 
what is literally just a worse version of Major's body, right? But Major can't do yeah. any of that stuff. You know, they could have covered that, like, you know, explained that by saying that the, 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 the Japanese kid that they used was, like, some genius or something. But no, like, we barely even remember if they explained who he was before he was that robot. It's mm-hmm. a really good point. It's like, if he is a worse version of her, then why is he a superior to her in almost every way, except for physical appearance? And, of course, the I think the most egregious sin is that they, in the end, brush him aside to focus on what they decide is the real villain which is the ceo character who's just a nothing person yeah he's just oh he's an asshole i don't remember who he was just some guy not anyone <laughs> important or interesting and for some reason they like he's the one driving the tank but why because bad guy drives a bad tank didn't you see wild wild west <laughs> that's a great point and that was a spider too so that's probably why they had to call it a spider tank. <laughs> well, what else is it going to be? Like a what's metal has four legs? Like a like a metal chameleon? It's a spider, Whoa. Sean. Spiders are scary. Actually, that sounds way better. Write that down for later. And it makes sense because it can turn invisible, like chameleons, because they camouflage. Oh my god, this is so good. Hey, let's talk about some of the other characters. Yeah, who were they? I don't know. Well, Batao was here. Oh yeah, this time yeah. as as a uh, as a human uh-huh. who gets the eye parts from after getting injured. I don't know why in this future of advanced cybernetics you would get two freaking telescopes to put in your face. <laughs> well, I think he said it's like it's a technical choice. Like you want because he's such a good cop. Because like I would get Batao in the original because it's I wouldn't think he'd ha- have had a say in that. But in this one, it's like if you could choose, I don't know. But you know, I'm gonna I am gonna take this time to say I actually liked Batao in this film. Mm-hmm. I was not really familiar with Pilo Asbeck, the actor. I know he's from Game of Thrones. Though oh, a lot of people in Game of Thrones. The, the the people that live like in the shitty. Near the water. All the the Greyjoys? Yeah, remember he's the guy that's like, time to go murder my cousins. <laughs> okay, sure. That's I remember Pilo that Asbic. I don't know how to say his name. But like, I kind of liked him. He kind of had like a... Like a Kiefer, like an 80s Kiefer Sutherland quality <laughs> to him. But like hulkier, bigger. Mm-hmm. I hope... Uh, I hope things work out for him. Because I, I kind of enjoyed him. Even though he was just kind of generic comic relief, there wasn't much to him. But he was like, it was nice to have like some, I don't know, some humor in an otherwise kind of droll, brooding, serious film. Yeah. Um, like, I don't even remember the rest of the team. Though I will point out, they they got beat Takeshi Kitano to be the kind of the leader of the squad, which... Uh-huh. Is a decision. There's so many things about that character and about that casting that like I'm so confused about. Like, for one thing, Beat Takeshi is kind of known for being like darkly comic, you know, like kind of like like serious but funny, you know, kind of kind of like twisted. And he just plays it like the character's just totally straight for the most part. I guess they try to make him a badass, but they don't play up any kind of dry humor really. I don't think he's ever that funny. Mm-mm. And probably the weirder thing is he speaks Japanese and no one else does. 
No one else even speaks another language. Like, they have Juliette Binoche, like you said earlier, but she doesn't speak French. Yeah, she speaks English. But they get one actor who speaks Japanese, I assume because he can't speak English in real life. But And I, I guess it's like, but see, like, like in the future, like, everyone's speaking all these different languages and everyone's, like, different race, and it's like, there's so much diversity. But it just, I don't feel like... When he's talking to like Major, I don't feel like they're actually having a conversation. They might no. as well film them in two different like places. Like it doesn't feel like they're interacting as much as it's like he's just reciting his lines, she's saying her lines. They're not interacting. It's it's clunky and weird, and it's too bad because it's like he's such an important character, and Beat Takeshi is such a fun actor to have in this movie, and they do nothing with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they give him that scene at the end where he gets to shoot the ceo yeah but that's a big gun he has a big old gun it's just a weird (laughs) i woke up alexa (laughs) they're going after you shot the head you're talking about robots oh no (laughs) (laughs) what did i say i wonder i don't know just talking about a big gun and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, well, that that scene where he kills the uh, the CEO character is really stupid, and it's weird because he's the main villain and he just kind of gets killed off by this minor supporting character, while the main villain also dies, or the other villain, you know, the the Kuze guy. It's a real. What a bummer ending that movie had. For, for like you said, it had such a sweet starting sequence, I guess, because it's all borrowed from the the franchise. Which is a, a recurring... Like, there were a bunch of shots in this that I recognized that weren't in Ghost in the Shell 1995. So I'm thinking they've, they've borrowed heavily from, like, the sequel movie and the TV show as well. And those are just things that I'm aware of because I had Adult Swim on while I was coding websites in 2005. I mean, at least they're doing their research aesthetically. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, you know, in terms of theme or storytelling, but they definitely watch the show. It's not like one of those things where it's like Dragon Ball Evolution, where it's like, Ugh. have they ever seen an episode in their lives? Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like a total failure in that respect. Um, but, I mean, I feel like the most important thing about about Ghost in the Shell is the story, and they kind of just made up their own story, but mm-hmm. set it in a very similar looking world. And it's just dumb. I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but it was just, it was just dumb. Yeah, it's I... just like so much money was put into like these fantastic sets, and this is the best script they have. This is this is like something like a guy in one of my screenwriting classes in college would have come up with, and everyone yeah. been like, yeah, it's okay. it's a movie that leaves you with like literally nothing to think about because every question is answered and all the heavy philosophical stuff from the original is just gone and speaking of the script it's written by someone who's like written nothing and a guy who wrote the latest three transformers movies oh god let's not forget it's directed by rupert sanders who's thus far only done snow white and huntsman and a bunch of commercials right uh yeah i mean the way they're just like, let's give this up and come an indie <laughs> character, Snow White the Huntsman, even though he has no prior experience. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of a, a untested group of people trying to 
remake one of the most ambitious animated movies I've ever seen with human beings. Okay, so I guess I have two questions. Um, one is, how did these get made? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and why? And two mm-hmm. is, to talk about the whitewashing. What do you want to talk about first? Uh, I think the why did this get made is a shorter conversation, so I guess let's do okay. that. Why did they think this would work? And and why did they do it? I mean, so this was out at the same time as uh, Beauty and the Beast and Power Rangers. Two other, like, 90s kids properties updated with modern celebrities and special effects. Um, I guess, I think the assumption is, at least in the case of this and Beauty and the Beast, that doing something in live action with CGI is inherently better than animation. Which is is bullshit. That's a terrible assumption. That's funny, because I actually have a different theory for why I think it was made. Alright. And mine is, um, has to do with the movie Lucy. So it's okay. like, that was a movie that was like a high concept sci-fi movie. It didn't really like, I mean, it didn't come from anything. It was just an original script by Luke Besson. Mm-hmm. But people liked Scarlett Johansson. People liked the premise. And it was a big hit. So I think they probably thought, you know, if we just get Scarlett Johansson back with another high concept sci-fi thing, like it worked that one time, but now we got even cooler effects. Hey, we got this. <laughs> the the problem in that is that it was very easy to sell that Lucy premise. Like, what if you used like the other part of your brain? Like, they every trailer like just would barrage you with that mm-hmm. idea. So people thought that was interesting. People checked it out. They like Scott Hansen. This one, it's it. They just they gave you the visuals, but they didn't give you the the hook. The about why this sci-fi world is 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 worth seeing and exploring. It's like what's interesting about it. Like. They didn't sell it in a way that anyone understood or cared about. Like, it was just, look at all these sweet visuals. You can't just make a very similar movie with the same star again. Uh, well, if, if that's what it is, I'm sure they're also looking at, well, she's great in uh, the Avengers movies. People like those. And for some reason, Marvel refuses to give her her own movie, which is dumb. Um, so... Maybe they're also thinking like this is a way we could get, we could lure Scarlett Johansson over because she probably wants to do more action movies herself. Yeah, you know I haven't looked up how much this movie costs. I assume it was pretty expensive. Hundred and ten. Think so. Million. That's pretty expensive, but it's not like grossly. <laughs> like, isn't Luke Besson himself coming out with a sci-fi epic that's really really expensive? Yeah, that Valerian movie. I'm That's totally going to be the next John Carter of Mars. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it looks really, really cool, but it's like, no way they're going to they're no. make their money back on that one. Total it's John 200, Carter. 220 million. So the thing? God, that's crazy. The thing to me, John, is that the two main characters of that Valerian movie look like children. But I think they're not <laughs> supposed to be children, and that's throwing me off. I think they're both young adults. Even so, it's like, Two hundred twenty million dollar movie, and those you're confident in those as your stars. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with unknowns. I mean, I like both of those actors. It just 
you got to think in terms of like, are the people going to come in? You know, uh-huh. Is Dane DeHaan filling seats? It's Which important. you know, here's here's an even dumber reason for why this movie could have been greenlit. They looked at here's a movie with a lot of nudity in it. Let's get a hot actress in the lead role, and people will come, right? Like like her her being in the the goofy bodysuit was in every trailer. It's on the poster. It's it's everywhere. And by the way, that's that's like fine, right? Like like I I think there's symbolism to her nudity in the original movie, but it, I don't think it's a huge loss for, for her to like just have a, an invisibility suit, except for it's totally void of any symbolism at that point. So I guess it is somewhat of a loss. In the original, it just looked like that was her skin, like that was her body. In this one, mm-hmm. it definitely just looks like a very weird outfit that's very over like sexualized it's, yeah, it's it got like, like shoulder pads though it's like it's like skin tight in in the sexy parts of her body but then it has like elbow pads and knee pads built into it so yeah it's like they couldn't decide if like this is her body or if just like a really cool suit but like it looks close enough to the original to where like i guess this is like a tribute or something i don't yeah. know okay so i guess that can lead us into whitewashing some people might argue that Without Scarlett Johansson, this movie couldn't be made. How do you respond to something like that? Um, then should it be made if that's the case? <laughs> yeah, and it it you know it probably sh- it probably shouldn't be made. I I mean when you talk about whitewashing, there's well, there's probably a, a infinite layers, but there's there's two layers that that stand out to me, and like one of them is, um the underrepresentation and limited availability of roles for uh, actors of color, right? Like, um, you don't see a ton of Asian actors really outside of bit supporting roles. Like, I, I can't, I can't right now think of a American movie with an Asian lead not like a big like not a household name at least like there's some minor yeah actors and everything but there's harold and kumar i guess oh john cho <laughs> or, or are we talking about movies not just yeah. actors where the, the the asian character was the star yeah <sighs> uh yeah you got one <laughs> um lucy Liu movies like 12 years ago <laughs> And, like, Jackie Chan movies, like, ten years ago. Oh, I miss that guy. But no, like, Asian-American actors. And the yeah. thing is, like, this is a perfect opportunity to make for, like, a star-making role. And if you're like, well, it's too much of a gamble, well, then, well, you shouldn't do this movie because it's a freaking movie set in Japan. It's like, mm-hmm. if you're not willing to bet on a Japanese actor in a movie set in Japan, then why make it? Why? Like, it's a Japanese story. Yeah, and and that's the the second aspect of whitewashing that I want to talk about, which is like to to take a story that is fundamentally Japanese, like the body horror aspect of this is is another like very Japanese like post uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki theme, right? Like that's that's in tons of anime. I mean, we we talked about Akira earlier, right? Where it's just like the ultimate body horror movie. Um, 
and and the and the relationship with technology that's that's different from the way we think about things in the United States, which is why. And and of course, this movie isn't just made for the United States. It's probably also made for for making money in China, um, which is probably why they went with a very safe uh, like it's just an evil executive that wants to murder people and don't even think about the ethics or morality of this stuff type story. So I, I like we've talked about adaptations before, right? And like how I think I'm more in the camp of if you're like going to take a book and turn it into a movie, you're going to have to make changes and that's fine. Well, I, I think traditionally you've been more of the just take the book and make it a movie. Like don't change the source material as much as possible. Sometimes. Kind of yeah. It, you know, it, it varies on a case by case basis, but I guess I tend to appreciate it if it follows the book more. Yeah. It's accurate. Um, and I, like that's that's it's that's not that's not what this the movie is no no matter like there are instances of like we're going to take a japanese movie and make an american movie or, or you know some other country um and and that works but that's not what they did here like they took as many like shots out of the source material they possibly could and recreated them they set it in tokyo apparently like they didn't americanize the story this isn't a new take on ghost in the shell it's just an amalgamation of the broadest ideas from it and that just shouldn't be white people then you know that it's interesting that makes me wonder what your thoughts on death note are in that case because there they've they've just decided to set it entirely in america in seattle to try to make it less Japanese, I guess, and make it yeah. Americanized, like, like I get, you know, that's whitewashing as well. Is that like as bad a case? Like, how do you how do you feel about that? Well, it's another case where, like, I'm disappointed that they are doing it so, like, literally again. Like, they're they they have it looks like Riak, right? But it's, it's Willem Dafoe now, so maybe they changed his name to like Rick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. But, like, we don't have death gods, right, in our culture. Like, Shinigami is not a word that that we say every day. We're like, oh, look out for the Shinigami, right? Like, the, that whole aspect of it should have been widely changed if you're going to make this story an American story. And they didn't because then the fans are going to be like, well, this isn't right. That's not like the source material and then it's like yeah they shouldn't they shouldn't have done this because you're just gonna piss people off one way or the other i guess the how i feel about death note is i think it's still bad because mm-hmm. here this is even lower risk way lower risk than ghost in the shell it's about 50 million dollars less mm-hmm. so it's like you could have easily made it have japanese actors in it you mm-hmm. know or at least the main character be Japanese, and maybe he could have some character, like a relative, that explains what Shimagama is, and it, it makes sense. It'd tie into his heritage or something. But again, they didn't do that. Like they go with Nat Wolf, and it's like, yeah, I don't know why it's so unappealing to the mass audience to have a story set in a different place. Like that seems great to me. Who I'm, I've seen infinite movies set in American cities. Like it's like this one's set in Seattle, but it's really gonna be set in Vancouver, right? So it's like I've seen that before too. 
but like you could still do a movie set in Japan with Asian American actors speaking English and it's at least closer. I will say one thing though in its in its defense. Okay, let's hear it. It's it's not really a very good case. Japan has made like six Death Note live action movies and they're terrible. Like I I tried to watch part of one and it was just like embarrassing. So it's like they screwed it up. Now let us have the opportunity to make it terrible. Though I guess you could say it's like we have so many more resources in our movies over here in the United States that we would have a, a better chance of making it something worth watching. And we just probably already screwed it up. But I don't know. It's like they gave it a shot. We're giving it a shot yeah, too. Well, we're just probably doing it in the wrong way. It's just like it's. I could see so much potential with Death Note of like somebody gets a hold of that and they write and they write Donald Trump right and then they write Mitch yeah, McConnell. It's a cool like, concept. Like they they destroy the government by killing everybody, or uh, like there's there's so much potential, but I assume it's just going to be the same story of detectives hunting down the guy who just randomly kills criminals. Yeah, I guess if they'd taken the concept and you know made it a totally different story. You'd have people complaining, oh, it's not the same as the original, but at least that could have made it could have justified it being Americanized if mm-hmm. it was about different things. I mean, it mean, still wouldn't justify certain things like the fact that there's Shimagami in it. But um, I don't know. We'll have to wait to see when it comes out. I don't really know. We just have that one trailer. I yeah. am curious, though. It's Adam Wingard, and he's done some good movies. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I, I, I guess the more I think about it, I just come down on the like you shouldn't remake good movies side of things oh my god do you know that adam wingard's next movie is a remake of a good asian Uh, movie what's he doing i I don't know if you've ever seen it's um the thriller i saw the devil from 2010 i haven't i think it's on netflix it stars that actor who's in old boy because he's in like every south korean movie (laughs) Uh, choi min sick it's just like a great like revenge movie it's like this dark thriller and i assume they're gonna make it some like you know action-packed thing that has mark Wahlberg. but that's adam wingard's next project so that's disappointing because that's already a good movie yeah like that's nuts that's you said it's just a few years old right like 2010 (laughs) not even that old not even a decade old like do people hate reading that much that they can that it has to I think be a that's whole it. They movie? see it as like an. Un- they see it as like this is a great story, but most people will never watch it because it's subtitled in, in another country. You know, and I guess that's like another reason why like something like Death Note, like they had to Americanize it so much because they thought that's the only way people would give it a chance. But I don't know. I think you got to give people credit. I think people are willing to, you know, see a good story. I don't think they're all that dumb. I mean, if they were dumb, then wouldn't have Ghost in the Shell done great? didn't yeah but you know what john having this conversation with you has actually changed my opinion of ghost in the shell the remake because i walked out of it being pretty down on that movie but having this conversation i've been able to think about movies that you brought up like dragon ball evolution like m night Shyamalan's the last airbender like um like spike lee's old boy where like so many instances of 
Americanized remakes or uh, adaptations that totally miss the point, that suck so bad that are just unwatchable, that, like, at least Ghost in the Shell, like, isn't a Dragon Ball evolution and isn't, like, offensive. It's just boring and stupid. Yeah. It makes some kind of effort. It just misses the point a little bit. Like, the all the offensive stuff in this movie is, is actually just, like, surrounding the movie and the, the you know, the whitewashing with, with the casting. It's not... It's just a stupid movie about robot people killing each other. <laughs> yeah, they should have called it, like, Robot Town or something. You know? Oh, yeah. Steel City. Circuits. I was going to say Circuit City. <laughs> Who currently owns the rights to that? Oh, my God. Get that... That sounds great. Circuit Circuit City. See, that's the other thing. Like, like, how come we don't have more people doing the Matrix thing of like, we're just going to steal all the coolest ideas and the coolest visuals and then make our own movie and then nobody will know and think we're geniuses. Because the Wachowski, like people still think the Wachowskis are geniuses, but they haven't made a single good movie since the first Matrix. Yeah. All you got to do, all you got to do is rent some anime, take the coolest parts and make your own thing and you're set. I mean, that's how Quentin Tarantino makes all of his movies. Yeah. He will literally take lines verbatim from other good movies. Be like, hey, this is a good line. I'm going to take that. Take that line. Makes good movies. Take the actor. I'll take some music from it. You know, I have no problem with people borrowing things, you know, as long as you're going to make something new with it that's, you know, fun and inventive and special. And then Ghost in the Shell is none of those things. But Ghost in the Shell is all of those things. If you watch the 1995 version. True. So that's our good movie and our bad movie. <laughs> I think that's that's all we do, right? Yeah. I don't think there's kinda, a gimmick at the end of this. I spoiled it right away. Like, we must have been 20 seconds in and I said which one was the good movie. Not that it's ever that much yeah, of a surprise. I think people knew. Um... So thank you for listening to this uh, conversation that we had. You can go to our website, which is mildlyplease.com, to see other podcasts and posts that we've done. I don't think I'm going to review this one on the blog. Are you going to review this one on the blog? Hell no. All right. So this is the entirety of our Ghost in the Shell coverage. But we've written about other things that are better. Um also, if you want more podcasts like this one, uh, search for Mildly Pleased on iTunes. It has all of our podcasts in one feed because we don't do the individual shows often enough for them to be separate feeds. There. I'll just say it. Be honest. Uh, and that's it for this one. I'll talk to you 